Every Man Podcast. Every Man. Daryl Campbell Jr. What's poppin'? Brother Jay, there's the key word today is energy, bro. Energy. It's a lot of energy. It's I don't even know if that's a word. It's precipitating. It's palpitating. It's punctuating. Uh, I'm running out of words that start with P, but it is present. It's present. Um, As you can hear, we're we're you know getting back to our standard audio quality because uh, you know Daryl Campbell and I uh, life is about uh, mitigating risks Mm -hmm. and uh, doing what you want to do. So uh, we're we're back in the uh, yeah. comfort of the new uh, Everyman Studio, mm-hmm. and uh, we're lighting it up today with Kenny Arnoff. Dude, that's that's all you have to say, man. Like, really, there's just just there are no words to express. That's why we started it off with the word energy, because yeah. that's that's what Kenny Arnoff is. He is pure, pure unadulterated unbridled frothy unapologetic energy bro it's incredible it's amazing man so a couple weeks ago we had a conversation with our good friend mike mangini a drummer extraordinaire and and i posed the question to him i said mike mm-hmm. is there anybody anyone anyone that you could think of in the, that wants to jump in the canoe that you think might might kind of be about what we're about here at the Everyman podcast that yeah. that positive attitude that that sharing the shining of the light uh that that hard work ethic that teamwork that communication is there anybody you know uh that might fit in that might be interesting he says you know what how about my friend kenny arnoff and i said mike that would be great thank you so much so mike mangini got us connected to uh drumming legend kenny arnoff and before we get into we're going to talk about it at length when i tell you this guy's a legend and who he's performed with Mm -hmm. and and recorded with i'm just going to rattle off a few names here uh johnny cash celine dion Mm -hmm. ricky martin garth brooks rob thomas rod stewart joe satriani bob dylan neil diamond bruce springsteen eric clapton i mean that's literally that's the condensed list okay um if you go to his website, check out the description uh, on the show notes today. You can see the list of, of who he's played for. You can purchase his book, uh, Sex, Drums, Rock and Roll. Uh, he's a motivational speaker. You can check out his talks at Google on YouTube. That's going to be in there uh, in the description below. And we get into not only his his career as a drummer. This is a guy who, as a young boy, um, you know, saw the Beatles playing on the Ed Sullivan Show. And then Please. 50 years later, he's playing with Paul Please. McCartney and Ringo. Um, it's when, when we talk about visual and being intentional about not only your daily practice but your overall goal and your and your purpose this guy he's the guy and it's it, we this is one of my favorite podcasts we've done um i want to thank kenny so much for for being so gracious with his time and and he this is a guy who's literally doing everything all the time and uh to to carve out a little bit of time here for the everyman and not a little bit of time a lot of time for the everyman podcast and our listeners uh is is truly special so big shout out to kenny thank you for that brother um we're we're just uh we're pumped up we've got a lot of really cool podcasts coming we've got some new content coming uh we're gonna be doing some live streaming so stay tuned keep an eye out for some for some bonus podcasts that are gonna drop that'll uh, tell you a little bit more about it and how to check it out and uh with that being said my bro i think we should kick it to our boy kenny kick it to him Joining us today on the Everyman Podcast is drumming legend Kenny Arnoff. Kenny has been a critical part of some of the world's most listened to bands and artists ever. Hands down, period, end of story. 
He's graced the cover of many of my copies of Modern Drummer. He's a motivational speaker and author of Sex, Drums, Rock and Roll. Ladies and gentlemen, Kenny Arnoff. Kenny, how are you, brother? I'm great, man. I love it. Thanks for having me. This is awesome. And and we're we're connected, of course, by our mutual friend, uh, everyman extraordinaire, Mr. Mike Mangini. Um, Doesn't get much better as a player, as a dude. Uh, just a fun guy, football fan. So, so shout out Absolutely. to Mike. Big shout Mike. out to Mike for uh, for hooking it up. Um, uh, yeah, absolutely. So, before we jump into it, I want to. I'm just going to rattle off a few names here, so our listeners can understand a little bit about the the breadth of your of your work. Here. And I don't mean to embarrass you by any means, but as uh, as if you guys are listening only to this podcast, Kenny is sitting in front of his um, unbelievable collection of gold records. Uh, there's probably a couple platinums mixed in there, I'm sure. Um, so, Kenny, you've worked with Johnny Cash, John Cougar Mellencamp, John Eddie, who's kind of, a, you know, we're in the Philadelphia area. He's a local legend here. I, I Not too many people my age know who that is. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jefferson Airplane, Melissa Etheridge, Celine Dion, Ricky Martin, Garth Brooks, Leonard Skinner, Rob Thomas, MLB great yeah. Bernie Williams. We're going to yeah. talk about Bernie. Rod Stewart, Striper, Billy Gibbons, Joe Satriani. Rolling Stones, you guys might have heard of them. <laughs> Neil Diamond, hello. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Come on. Bruce Springsteen, Eric Clapton, Sting, Desmond Child, who we're going to talk about him in a little bit, and one of my favorites, yeah. the Smashing Pumpkins. Hell yeah, Smashing man. Smashing Pumpkins fan. So, Hell yeah. <laughs> there's so much to talk about with you, man. Let's just start, you know, kind of loosely from the beginning. So, when did you realize you wanted to be a drummer? Well, it started when I was playing outside. I grew up in West, Western Massachusetts. There was nothing to watch on TV. And I was just playing outside. I was 10 years old. And my mom screamed at me and my brother to come inside. I thought I was in trouble, which was not unusual. And uh, I get inside, and she's pointing the TV set, and it's the Beatles who are on the Ed Sullivan show. And they break into, uh, you know, one of their songs. I can't remember which one it was. Uh, maybe it was I Want to Hold Your Hand. They yeah. just... You know, it was the Ed Sullivan show, so they just come to America. 72 million people saw that show, and like a lot of them, I was uh, completely bouncing off the walls, electrified, could not believe what I was seeing, and I just didn't know what to do. But I said to my mom, who are those guys? She said, the Beatles. And I went, well, I want to play with the Beatles. Call them up. I want to be in that band. <laughs> nice. And, um, yeah, I mean, I was just a kid, so obviously she didn't. Um, but... Uh, uh, I, so I started my own band uh, two weeks later. Uh, all I could afford was a snare drum and a cymbal. I stood up, and, and uh, the band was called the Alley Cats, and we played Beatles music. But the, the cool thing was, cool. 50 years later, in 2014, I'm asked to be on a CBS special called The Night That Changed America, honoring the Beatles for the Ed Sullivan Show, and now I get to perform with the two remaining Beatles, Paul McCartney and Ringo Starr. And the night before, I'd done the Grammys awesome. with Ringo Starr. And this was like, just, unbel- I mean, it was like iconic for me to have that moment, hanging with Ringo Starr, Paul McCartney, backstage for like 45 minutes, talking about the Beatles in Liverpool, the Beatles in Hamburg. And I'd met uh, Paul McCartney before, and I'd obviously played with Ringo, like I said, but it just was like 
to come full circle like that was ridiculous. So that's how I got started. Well, you know, on the podcast here, uh, and, and Mike alluded to it in our emails, is we talk about the cosmic canoe. Yeah. And this idea about the cosmic canoe, Kenny, is, is, you know, we're kind of all in a shared journey together, kind of going upstream. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, when you talk about these things, you know, we're, we're big on the idea of uh, kind of bringing things into existence, whether you want to call that, you know, conjuring or visualizing or however you want to put it. Um, but, you know, you as a child, you're, you have that vision, you, you have that desire and you see it all the way through. And, you know, I was saying to Daryl before we got on here, I mean, I, I have vivid memories of, uh, you know, I've been a modern drummer subscriber since I was, I don't know, a kid, you know, and I mean, <laughs> yeah. I, I've, I've gotten your face in the mail and, and then here we are having this conversation it's and awesome. yeah. it's, it's, it's kind of, it's kind of proof that, you know, we all are connected, you know, um, in one way or another. Uh, and, and for us, it's, uh, it's, it's drumming. So, um, I watched some of your, I watched your, you did a Google talk and, uh, as you, as you alluded to before, you're, you're a keynote speaker, you, you're a writer, you, you got your hands in all this stuff. Um, how long did you spend, you know, just focusing on drumming before you decided like, Hey, I'm an every man, I'm going to get into everything. Like, uh, what was that process for you? Is it just kind of your nature or, or was that intentional? Well, uh, first of all, I'm extremely competitive. Uh, that's why I was so I related to sports. I'm not the. I tell people I'll never be as great as I want to be, but I'll spend the. Re- I'm willing to spend the rest of my life trying to be as good as I can be, and I attribute that to being like a running back in football. You know, these guys are ruthless beasts. But do they get touchdowns every time they get the ball? Fuck no. No. But they spend their whole career trying to get in the end zone. And sometimes they go minus two yards. Sometimes they fumble. Sometimes they get a touchdown. Sometimes they break their fucking leg. Yeah. And, and you know, a, a great a great role model, if I were to pick one in the NFL, would be, you know, um, oh, now I'm spacing his name. You know, uh, he won the MVP for the Patriots two years ago. Uh, 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 let's see. It's one of Brady's favorite guys. He's, he's uh, Edelman? Edelman, yes, exactly. I can't believe I spaced his name. But Edelman, you know, there is a guy, example, who who, who uh, tore his knee up, came back, recovered, and wins the MVP the following year. Yeah. I mean, that's just extraordinary. And and, and for that, made Mahomes last year, you know, he blew his knee in a, a quarterback sneak, uh, blew his knee out, and then he wins the Super Bowl. Uh, I mean, the thing is, is that it's like, you can be successful without being the most talented and the most uh, gifted by just working your ass off. And so at age 18, when I decided, you know, my family, everybody had to go to college. That just was the American dream. You go, you know, my dad was was in one of the bombers that, that took out Hitler in the last 15 missions of World War II. He was a bomber, bombed the crap out of Berlin. He was uh, in those big bombers. Anyway. You know, his parents came from Russia. You go to school, get an education. So my dad did that. Now it was my turn. Mm -hmm. So they asked me, what do you want to major in? I say music. But there was no school of rock back then. So it was all classical. So I, in high school, I had nothing to do with the marching band or anything to do with the the orchestra. I was, uh, I had my own rock band. I started playing in the band at 10, like I mentioned, but I was also a jock. And at the end of school, I was playing sports, varsity sports. So, and then I'd come home, do homework, and then I'd have rock and roll band practice in our barn. Nice. But I I didn't have the skill set, the orchestral training. 
I had, thank God, started studying with the percussionists from the Boston Symphony Orchestra, Arthur Press, that had their summer uh, festival at Tanglewood in Western Mass. So I started studying with him at the end of my sophomore year, and that guy kicked my ass. He was basically like a, 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 an NFL football coach. He was like, there was no hand-holding. There was no, like, you know, support system. You know, you either play for me or you get your ass yelled at. And uh, so he got me enough skills on timpani, mallets, reading, snare drum to get into University of Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. And, and, and uh, but the day I graduated high school, and this is my point, I started practicing eight hours a day, seven days a week from fear, from fear of failure, because I knew I was behind. I knew I didn't have the skill that some of these kids were gonna have with reading, working with conductors, doing all the stuff that I knew I was gonna have to do at school. And that set me on a trajectory and gave me the skill that I'm using still today. I still use that fundamental, those skills, that work ethic, you know, self-discipline, hard work, perseverance, based on fear at that point, um, that had made me successful, and that same skill has kept me successful in one of the most difficult businesses in the world for four decades, the music business. Now, may I add, it's natural for a human being to avoid fear, to avoid danger. You run from fear, and you run from danger, but, when you learn to embrace fear and danger and realize that you can persevere running into the fire like a fireman, running into bullets like a, a marine soldier, running into a, a, a defensive line when you're running back, when you got 11 people that want to kill you, you learn to overcome all that, you know, the, the, all those you know, the, all the diversity and all the, the hard things that you're running into by experience. And so that, 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 that's how I learned how to deal with adversity and persevere, and I'm still using that. And that's how it all started from there. Wow. You know, that, that kind of reminds me, as, as a drummer, um, you know, a lot, of, a lot of the guests we've had on the show, a lot of my friends, you know, Blake Richardson's, Naveen's, uh, you know, Mangini's, we, we talk about how in music you're, you're kind of forced to deal with adversity and rejection and this, you know, you have to put yourself in this position where you're always kind of putting yourself out there and you're you're going to get shut down a lot. And it goes back to what you said about the running back where, yeah, sometimes you're going to get back two yards, you're going to break your leg, you're, this is going to happen, but sometimes you're going to, everything's going to be aligned, you're going you're gonna to catch that, that lane and you're going to take it all the way to the house. And I find that with drummers um, that are at, a, at that certain level, you know, obviously yourself included, um, we're all very competitive and have that kind of mindset where it's like, I don't care. Uh, I'm willing to to deal with the pain um, and the, the frustration. And, you know, as I was saying to Daryl uh, before we got on the podcast, there's this interesting thing in my in my view with drumming where I don't think drummers were really considered musicians quote unquote until a certain point you know when, when people like buddy rich started coming around and, and the drummers became not only critical to the music but they were the show and as you progress like if you want to trace back the history of guitar it's much more difficult and it's much longer and there's way more of a 
development period of where we are now. Whereas I feel like with drumming, you can kind of sit down w- with the last 50, 60, 70 years and, and see so much of it. And that's why it's so neat to hear your perspective because you've worked with, like you said, you, you went from watching the Ed Sullivan show as a child to performing with the beat, like members of the Beatles and you saw it go all the way through. And where have you seen the biggest changes in, in not only drumming, just, I mean, let's just start there. Like what are some of the biggest changes you've seen in drumming from when you got started to, to where we are today having this conversation? Oh, the, well, the biggest change is when they start programming drums. Mm. Uh, that, that'd be the biggest change. Because, uh, I mean, the thing is, it's just like any athletic team or any business team or any music team. It's, it's all about teamwork. It's about, it's not about, it's not about me. It's about we. Yeah. I and like when that. You rea- yeah. When you realize, when you realize that what your purpose is, and for Daryl, his purpose is the same as my purpose. My purpose, when I make a record, get the fucking song on the radio to be number one. And Daryl's purpose is to get into the Super Bowl and win the fucking Super Bowl ring. That's it. <laughs> so every every game, every play, every move should be thinking about ultimately that's where we're going to get. Now, I, I granted, every every. I focus on every song I'm playing very, very specifically. But the ultimate goal, and the reason why I say to get to the Super Bowl or to get a hit, number one hit single, is that you only can do that if you're thinking in terms of the team yeah. as we. Now, let's go back to drumming specifically. Okay, a guy like John Bonham, one of the greatest rock and roll drummers ever for Led Zeppelin. Nobody can argue that. Now, he had chops, but the perfect example of him being a team player is is, is uh, Kashmir. Now, there's a beat that says, boo, ba, boo, ba, boo, ba. Sets the whole stage. <laughs> yeah, people would go like, well, I can play that. But no, you can't. Not like the way he played it, because he knew to only play that, and he knew to play that place every note in a strategical place because it was musically right for the band Mm. to make the whole band sound good it wasn't about him he stepped back and looked at it like he was a coach what should i do to help make this band sound great that's my whole point and that's a great drummer when the drummer is He's obviously John Bonham, and we, you know, he's an individual of greatness. But he he was a band of team player, and that's what that's what made that band love him, and that's what made him so valuable in that band. As any great band, you can be a star on your team, but I think you're ultimately a superstar when you are a star, but playing as a team player. I mean, that's, so back to your question, some of the biggest changes for drumming was when they started programming because now you have a faceless, a, uh, uh, you have a, a drum beat or a part where the, 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 the thing does not react as a team player to the other musicians. 
There is no reaction. A drum program just lays there dead. <laughs> it might be the coolest program in the world, but it ain't reacting. It's like a, it's like a drummer sex doll. Yeah, it's something like that. <laughs> Although I've heard sex dolls now in Japan, they react to you. Oh, yeah, they might. They might be. Uh, maybe we need to incorporate some yeah, of that AI into, the, AI into there. the drum programming. <laughs> They talk, they talk to you. Well, you know, it's, it's funny. Like I've, um, you know, growing up, I learned how to record on a, I had like a multi-track recorder, uh, that recorded to tape. And, you know, my dad taught me how to use that because that's how he learned how to record. And then, like, the Pro Tools thing happened, you know? Uh, I mean, it was already happening, but then it became accessible to me, right? And, um, I learned how to do a little bit of each phase of it. And, you know, my dad will tell me stuff about how, like, yeah, we had to spend $2,000 just on tape. And it's like, you only have the tape that you have. And we'll get to it in a second here. And I want to give away the story. But you, you kind of talk about this idea of a story. Like, you, okay, you've got a foot of tape left. What am I going to do here? And um, I think that had that's changed. Like, the drummer, there used to be this, like, premium of, of time and notes and how much time you could, could have. And, and now, you know, like I used to write music where I would sit behind the kit and write, you know, now I'm trying it the modern way because everybody kind of wants you to program your drums and send it to them and then, then do it for real, you know? Um, and it's a very interesting time to be a drummer because you, there are, you still need that drummer, you know? And there's, there's guys like, I mean, Tony Royster is a perfect example who he is one of my favorite drummers. He's any room he walks into like he's gonna be the best if not one of the best in that room you know like it's it's even the pros know him you know and but he'll go up and he tours with like Katy Perry and he's just holding it down back there and he's being a team player like you're saying he's not I mean I saw him perform with Jay-Z and it was like watching Dream Theater or something like he was shredding it was unbelievable but then you see him doing this gig and he's playing to the song and when he needs to he can bring it up a little bit and you know that's the part of being a drummer I've always enjoyed was, was that push and pull and, you know, that communication with the audience and the communication with the band. And I, I think there's a, there's that strong similarity of communication, uh, nonverbal communication in sports and music. So I wanted to talk to you about, you know, this phenomenon of when you're playing on stage and you've got a bass player that you're really tight with or a keyboard player you're really tight with, and you're just, you're jamming and you're looking at them and you know, if I make this subtle movement, he's going to follow me and we're going to go this direction. And when I started hanging around Daryl and, and these NFL guys, they're doing the same things. You know, like like Daryl told me a story about how, like, you know, playing with, with, with Brian Urlacher and how yeah. it's like, well, you do what you're going to do. You follow your instinct. I'm going to make sure that, I, that the guy behind you can cover you. And that's what teamwork is all about. You know, how, how have you learned to be a leader behind the kit when you're not the boss because i know for me i always like to be the boss uh you know my fiance could elaborate on that i'm sure for us (laughs) but um you know sometimes you got to know when to pull back so what's it like being like you're you're the guy you know you've you've worked with all these people you come in but you're asked to execute a role how do you do that how do you do that uh well and and how did you learn to do that well first of all Everybody has to do their job. You start with, you have a job to do. But the next level is what, what you were talking about with, with uh, Daryl and, and athletes and musicians. You have a job to do. In my role, it's pick the right beat, keep time, make it groove, add creative ideas to that foundation. Pick the right beat, 
Everybody knows the beat you're going to play. First two notes defines time, and you, immediately you, you 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 have to play with feel. That's the cake. The icing on top of it is just creative ideas you add to that foundation. So the creative part is where Daryl they line up. They all have their they all have their designated job to do. Mm-hmm. But at any split second, when you're on a team, with somebody makes you're going to react, especially in football. You're going to react to what's coming at you. You have to make adjustments. Your assignment is this. You make adjustments. And if you're a team, the guys around you will make the adjustments with you based on the adjustment you make. Or you're making the adjustment based on what they're making. You all are shifting as a team. It's like one one person now. So as a band guy, I'm playing. I'm extremely when I we were doing high pressure gigs like the Kennedy Center Honors. We were playing with Sting and Springsteen, Elton John, Mellencamp, <laughs> all one after another, and you you've been rehearsing right up to about two hours before sixteen camera shoot, uh, and they're recording and filming, and the President of the United States is there and dignitaries. You do not want to fuck up, and if you do, <laughs> probably. You probably won't come back next year. So everything I have is written out. I have I have read the script of the show. I know the flow of the show. I know when to count off. I know who to count off to. I have the tempos. I know that Tom Hanks is going to say something in the teleprompter that I count off when he says, and the, and I start counting. I've got all that scripted out. So I'm not just a drummer. I'm kind of like player coach, yeah. you might say. And so at any, I know when I get on that seat, there's a possibility that something is going to go wrong. Mm-hmm. And my job is a problem solver. I mean, Daryl, that's, that, that's even more, more uh, happening in football because you got 11 people oh, yeah. coming at you and they're trying to purposely oh, yeah. fuck you up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. In, in this and they have license and, to do so. <laughs> yeah, in, in my case, they're not trying to per- fuck you up. But, you know, when you've got people rehearsing only two days before the show and they're changing it. It's like the way it works is like, let's say I'm playing, I'm rehearsing with Lady Gaga to, to we're honoring Sting. So I was doing Bruno Mars, Lady Gaga, uh, 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 and Springsteen. Those were the three main components rehearsing. All right. We rehearse with a week before, uh, this would be like you guys getting tapes. The week before is when I finally get the songs we're going to do. Mm-hmm. So I'm studying the recordings, but I'm also going on YouTube to see, like, for example, Bruno Mars, he did a medley of police songs. So I knew that he did them his own way. Yeah. So I'm, I write charts and study both. All right? That's awesome. When I get, when I get to the rehearsal, the first rehearsal, the charts come in from a, a, ch- a chart writer to the musical director. He hands them out to us, and I'm looking, and he says, what song we're going to do? And I'm immediately going, looking at his chart and looking at the YouTube chart, and I'm like, oh, my God, they're different. So I'm, uh, first thing I do is the new charts have usually a shorter uh, arrangement. So I'm adapting parts from my charts real quickly to nice. this. Oh, no, here's what I'm doing. I'm taking the letters and the numbers uh, measure numbers from the charts you just gave me and slamming them onto my charts so that I have the all the parts are already written out. Then I go to him, what version do you want to do? Do you want to do it more like the YouTube version or the album version? And sometimes they come up with a third version. <laughs> well, I'm, yeah. I'm scrambling like a motherfucker. All yeah. right, so 
We do that. We run through all the songs for, let's say, Sting. Then they come in. The artists, some, a lot of them come in, sometimes not all of them, but let's say they come in and we rehearse with them with these songs and now they make changes. Yeah. That night, I go to my hotel and rewrite all my charts to update them to what we, the last thing we agreed on. The next day, we rehearse, like say if I'm doing, that was honoring Sting, but a lot of times I'll do Sting, but I'll honor another artist. So then we rehearse, this is now Saturday, that was Friday, is that how it works? Yeah, Saturday. <laughs> uh, I rehearse with the, the new music, and then we go upstairs and do a camera block for the Sting segment, and now I'm watching where people are going to be walking, and I'm making notes uh, the, that I will be counting off the song or I'll be giving the musical director the count off or, and, or I'll be getting a cue from the stage manager or I talk to, he's going to hit a flashlight on me to tell me when to count off. I get all this shit sorted out and there are some edits again made on this whole piece of work. Yeah. Then we go downstairs and I rehearse uh, with the artist for the next segment. Now it's Sunday, day of the show. Now we do a camera block with the second group uh, artists we're honoring, and then we do a complete run through of the show, everything with cameras, without the artists, so they can get the band. <clears throat> then I go back to my hotel. I have two and a half hours or two hours to decompress, make some adjustments in my charts, get dressed, go back to the Kennedy Center honors. Bam, it's showtime. Now, something can go wrong. Absolutely. Obviously. And so it's my job is to solve problems. But it's all about the team because when, like, there was, I won't mention the artist, but there was a, we were honoring Neil Diamond, and the, the guy, artist was supposed to hold the note for six notes. Yeah! Boom! Bring the band in. We got to that note, and he went, ah! <laughs> I went, Holy fuck, I look at the musical director, he's going, and I, <laughs> and I got thrown off. I didn't count the six beats. It threw me off. I was so pissed off. It's like somebody comes at you and, and distracts you somehow. But I went, oh, i got to bring the band in. Bam, I bring the band in. At the end of that whole event, there's like five people being honored. You know, actor, dancers, actors, and it's 11 o'clock at night, long day. We're told to stay in our positions. And the producers are going to review that segment. And uh, the musical director goes, blah, 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 blah. I'm like, oh, shit. Uh, probably it's because I didn't come in right and I wasn't counting. Damn. And he goes, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, oh, shit. Yeah, I go, yeah, I know. It's probably me. And then um, he stands up and suddenly goes, everybody. Give Kenny Aaron off applause. He, <laughs> he saved the day. So <laughs> what had happened was I did bring the band in. Uh, I, I must have memorized the six beats. It didn't matter. The point is I brought the band in. Horn section trumpet player comes up. Says, dude, thank God you did that, man. You saved the day. I was like, whoo. Because I thought maybe I had blown the day. But the point is things can go wrong. And being a team player, my job is to help the team out as, and myself out all at the same time so that we ultimately win the game or do a great performance. That's awesome. Man. And I'll tell you, I don't know if it's just my own bias from being a drummer, but I've, I've always said to people that are non-musicians, like, 
when you're watching a band perform live, like there's so much going on in that drummer's head about what they're doing, yeah. like not only what they're doing, but what everybody else is doing. And then you're you're watching the crowd, you're you're looking to the sound guy, you know, and and it's like there's so much depth of what's going on there. And I feel like only recently because of things like this pod, like podcasts and YouTube and stuff like that, where drummers are getting a chance to explain these nuances of what's going on. And uh, I studied with Matt Halpern, a great drummer for Periphery, and he. Um, he taught me something that that's really stuck with me, which is, you know, uh, a performance is, is like two conversations and there's a, there's a conversation between the, the drummer and, you know, the band together. And then there's that conversation between the band and the audience and, and what's going on to them. Um, and how you can be sitting there simultaneously in these two worlds. And there's some sort of, you know, it's like you're, you're, you're almost the playing almost, I don't know for you, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but for me, it's almost like the playing becomes the autopilot because you've spent so much time rehearsing, you know, the music so well, you know, the parts, you know, everything that you can, that like you're saying, that's the thing that separates these really great drummers where they can be aware of the band. They can be aware of the energy in the room and, and know when to bring it up. And, you know, back to Mangini, he'll be telling us how, yeah, like sometimes just to keep myself entertained, I'll try doing something with my left hand and then me and Daryl are sitting in the audience watching Dream Theater play and it's like, oh, you've got time, you've, you've got some extra space in there to, you know, like, and it's mm -hmm. just like, it, yeah. that's what's so cool about drumming is that you can be a, uh, a technical master like that, but then you can also groove, you know, like you have to have these different utilities, which is different than maybe a, I mean, a guitar player sure have to do that, but it's different than athletics where you have to kind of, be balanced and you're known for kind of working with everyone. Like I said before, I mean that list and that's the condensed list guys, you should, you, I'm going to put the link to your website in the show notes so you can, you guys can check it out for yourselves. But, um, I mean, that's like multi-generational it's, it's incredible. So when did you realize that you were kind of in the middle of this, like unbelievable run of, diverse performances did you set out to just play on i mean you 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 one it's like in the late 90s it's like you're ricky martin and it's celine dion and garth brooks like it's like everything like did you was that intentional or did you just be like uh yeah i'll do it and you just you just go with it and next thing you know you've got you know here we are i never i never went after any particular artist what happened was you know, you're, you're, you're fortunate as a drummer if you become, you get in a band like John Mellencamp for 17 years and have that body of work where suddenly I'm like the Keith Richards in the band. It was like, John, but then who's that drummer? You know, and coming up with that iconic drum part in Jack and Diane. Yep. And where the whole, you know, 20,000 people are air drumming to your drum part. Yeah. And, uh, but then it's also an, an incredible accomplishment if you become a session drummer. Now, in my situation, I became big in both. And the way that happened was, after eight years of, of you know, rehearsing to make a record, arranging songs, making the record, doing promo for the record, going, rehearsing for the tour, going on tour, that was about a two year span. I did four, four of them, so that's eight years, nonstop. Nice. And then John, John just said, "Fuck it, I'm done." I'm like, "What? I just got, <laughs> I just gotten divorced, and you know, I had you know the typical shit: mortgage, child support, uh, utilities, yeah. blah blah blah." And he says, "I quit." Well, he didn't. 
actually quit for three years, but when he said it, it was so fucking believable. You know, it was like, whoa. And suddenly I went, oh my God, I freaked out. The next day I woke up and went, wait a minute. I've been working with one famous artist my entire eight years. Now I'm gonna go work with all the other ones. There you go. As a session drummer. So I looked at the same thing that everybody else saw or heard and I flipped it. I went, I'm gonna go to LA. I was already doing some sessions, but basically I went after the session world. And it just so happened that I was gifted at that. I was the right, I, I, I have this thing I call the CCC. I can walk into a room and connect with like Elton John in two seconds, start communicating, and now in about 45 minutes we're gonna collaborate. I have to connect and start communicating with these guys so that we can collaborate yeah. in 45 minutes. And that's what I call the CCC thing. It's just so happens, I just have to be good at it. So I'm not gonna take credit for it. That's what I do. But the thing is, all of a sudden, the word got out. This guy is great. He reads, he can play any style. And I'll give you an example. Uh, in the 90s, Monday, I'm recording with B.B. King and Bonnie Raitt doing a Dr. John song, Right Place, Wrong Time, for a movie called Air America. Tuesday, Wednesday, four songs with Elton John, a box set. This is all in L.A. Uh, <clears throat> Thursday through Sunday, Bob Seger record, The Fire Inside. Nice. Then I fly from L.A. to Atlanta or to Georgia and do the Indigo Girls for a week. Then I fly back to L.A. It's uh, Willie Nelson, The Day I Land. The next uh, four days, more Bob Seger, and then it was two weeks doing Blaze of Glory with Bon Jovi. Whew. Now that that was a snippet of my schedule. I'd be booked for months saying no to like Bob Dylan or whoever. And I had two drum sets in Nashville, two in LA, two in New York, one in Germany, one in Japan. And people, because the money was, was a lot of money because people were buying records, people would fly me all over the place just for one song Sweet. because they were going to get the results. And back to the tape versus Pro Tools, when we were playing, recording on tape, you had to get full takes, you had to be able to keep time, you had to make it groove, you had to have the perfect fills, you had to have the great sound, you had to have the great uh, feel and, and be able to take instruction, adapt on a dime, pivot when you had to, and get along with everybody. So, I am still that guy with Pro Tools. I get full takes, I sometimes punch in, but rarely, and I, because when you get a full take, you get a vibe and an energy and a performance like De Niro in The Godfather. Mm -hmm. They didn't go line by line. When he gave us a delivery in a scene, or Al Pacino, they didn't go line by line, it's a performance. And that's what you feel as a human being. And you can hear that and feel that with a drummer on a record. And so that's what I am still attaining that approach, full takes all the way, so that not chopped up and edited and fixed. I want you to feel what I'm doing. That's awesome, man. That's that's quite. We were a, talking about that too. Yeah. We we're talking about just Kenny. I'm just going to interject here. We were talking about this right before the podcast, even through the text and the email and everything. We were talking about how awesome it is that you're a. You're a student first and you execute your craft in every project that you do and you're always chasing perfection. It never stops. And I think that is critical 
one thing that all of our listeners need to understand is that we're talking to somebody who's still at the height of his at, at, at the height of his professionalism, but is still ch- chasing perfection. That's yeah, that's breath. That's brilliant. That's and, brilliant. And you know, Daryl makes an excellent point here, and you you kind of touched on this in your in your Google talk that I watched, which is your you're still very much active. You know, we're talking about this like it's like this. Uh, you're just in the middle of it, you know, oh. and, and you're still oh, going. Yeah. And it's like when you can, um, Neil Diamond, for example, let's talk about Neil Diamond. So I, I, I've, I love Neil. I love his music. Grew up listening to it in the house. And, um, when I saw him, his drummer, um, his name's escaped me at the moment, but yeah, he played, played with Elvis. He played um, with Elvis. He, as a kid, yeah, uh, he played with Elvis <laughs> and, and then like, and, I just I that that really always stuck with me because it's like you can you can end up like you can have a bookend career like that where you start with Elvis and end with Neil Diamond, um, but like yeah. you're one of the rare people because I'm I'm a I'm a I'm a student of drumming right and I, I love the personality of drummers and I, and I I sometimes I love the the idea of it sometimes more than I love actually doing it you know um, and uh, there's not many people like you that have that have kind of woven themselves in and out of all these things um and not just the pop music but some of the you know more like striper you know like i didn't realize you did work with striper and like i i i ever i keep looking i would look for more names and it's like i'd find more things that you've recorded everywhere i looked and it's just it's uh it's truly amazing and and there's a name i wanted to talk about here uh desmond child so Similarly, my fascination with with this idea of the journeyman drummer, you know, I, I love journeyman NFL players, journeyman quarterbacks and stuff like Tommy Maddox is one of my favorite players because I just love his story. Um, and I was telling Daryl about Desmond Child before we got on the podcast. And he's kind of like you guys, it seems uh, very similar in that you guys get have been kind of at the epicenter of all this incredible music from yeah. Bon Jovi to Ricky Martin and everything yeah. in between. Um what meatloaf? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, meatloaf. Yeah. I mean, meatloaf. my mom is gonna flip when uh, when I tell her that uh, that uh, you you know you played you were on uh, I'd do anything for love, but um, how did you get kind of linked in working with Desmond Child and are you still working with him? Because I know he's now doing like all the songs that he wrote, but he's kind of like rearranging them. And I heard him on Chris Jericho's podcast, uh, and then I found some live videos. And I really, it's cool to see the guy that wrote the songs 30 years later playing them how he wants to play them outside of the, because, you know, some some of that music, again, I love Bon Jovi, but it's dated to the time that it occurred, you know? Um, So tell us what's what's up there with Desmond and and how'd you guys kind of get linked up and... I'm trying to think of the first time I, I I don't remember the first gig I did with Desmond, but I got a call from his office. Uh, uh, it, maybe it was Ricky Martin. I, I may or yeah, it might have been Ricky Martin. But but the thing about Desmond, I have played on a few of those. Uh, we he recorded a bunch of his songs live. Mm-hmm. Uh, he did it in a club, and they recorded it, and it didn't come out the way he wanted. So he had me replace the drums but there was no click track so i had to follow the drummer <laughs> as my as my click track yep but then do my own parts yeah good luck so nice. i'm great at that i'm i'm great at splitting my mind i am definitely a player coach type of drummer i i i play i'm in the drum set but i step out and watch myself with the band 
and how I'm doing as if I'm the player, the coach watching the players, and I'm saying, hey, drummer, you got to bring it in here a little bit. No, don't do that. And then I'm the drummer. And I, I'm i sorry I'm diverting, but I, this reminded me of something you said. When I play, the goal is to rehearse, 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 train, 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 so that when I do perform, and I know, Daryl, you relate to it, you're in flow. Yeah. You're <laughs> in flow. Yeah. But, but. You're in flow, but there's a part of me that is so grounded so that when something changes, yeah. you can come out of flow and fix it and then go back into flow. Or actually, you never leave flow or 100%, but you have the ability to step into a very specific situation and fix it and then get back 100% into flow. I mean, that's just what, that's being a bad mofo at whatever you do. So... <laughs> Back to Desmond Child. Desmond, I guess we'll start. I've I, I, I done something with him. I can't remember. But the Ricky Martin situation was was heavy, heavy. Because uh, the stories about Living La Vida Loca had already come out massive. But they didn't have an album done yet. Right, yeah. They had to make an album. I get the call. Desmond wants you in New York. I fly to New York. And I get the song called Shake You Bon Bon. Mm -hmm. Okay? I get there. I didn't get, in this particular case, I didn't get the song that I was there. I get in the studio. I think it might have been Right Track in New York on 40, 48th Street. And I go in there, and there's um, Desmond's manager. Uh, but then I see uh, John Cicada and George Noriega. And those guys were associated with Emilio Estefan. Now, let me tell you something. Desmond Child and Emilio both were American Cuban descent. Both came from no money and rose to be very successful songwriters, producers of music in Miami. So I'm going, wow, that's interesting. What so Desmond's manager said, well, I'll cut to the chase. What was happening? Tom, Tommy Mottola, uh, who managed Mellencamp at one point, became the president of, of Sony Records. He's looking at, holy shit, we got to build a huge record around this humongous single, Living La Vida Loca, that's blown up all over the world. So he's thinking, all right, I'm gonna, I got to get the best songs. So he's got Desmond, and he's got Emilio, and Ricky Martin. He knows all these guys because he's from Miami. He was in a, a band down there, and he's trying to get the best songs he can get to make a great record. I walk in, think I'm doing three songs that Desmond wrote, but then there's now these other songs that uh, John Cicada and George Noriega wrote. And then I find out that George and Desmond had were some of the writers on uh, Shake Your Bonbon. All right, so I'm going, okay. All right, suddenly I... My antenna goes up. We got some shit going on here. But then, uh, as I, I write the chart out, and then all of a sudden the stems, this is the beginning of Pro Tools. The guy in Florida is sending the stems up to New York through the internet for me to record to. And I start listening to him, and I'm like, as they're building it, and all of a sudden, by the way, eight people from Sony Records shows up. Nobody from a record company or let's say eight people from record company don't show up for drum overdub. That means something heavy's going on. So my spider sense goes up, oh my God, yeah. this is some serious 
pop pol- political shit going on. <laughs> then, then uh, Ricky shows up with eight people. Now you've got sixteen. Plus Desmond's got his people. Plus there might have been thirty people for a drum over time. I'm like going, whoa, 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 whoa! This is heavy. So they're all. It's like four o'clock, and I'm like, dude, the click track that they used for this demo sounded like cotton balls hitting the floor. <laughs> there was no like, got, got. It was like, oh, 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 oh. I'm like. How the fuck? So then the question <laughs> question I always ask is this. Desmond, what I'm playing to, how much of that are you keeping? Because if they're keeping it, I have to play to that. If they're not keeping it, I have to play to the click, and they'll overdub to me. He's saying we're keeping the percussion, we're keeping this, we're keeping that. We're keeping a lot of it. I went, okay. First of all, there was eight measures on those stems that wasn't on my demo. So I'm about to record, but I'm like, wait a minute. There's eight measures here that aren't. So I got to write that out. Then I say, I'm looking at this very stressful situation. I felt like I was Kenny Kissinger, like Henry Kissinger. I got to negotiate. negotiate So I go out there and I get my, I'm thinking, this is what I'm thinking. Kenny, you have to hit, get a touchdown First take, first yeah. try to please the room, please the room. So I go out there and listen to my headphone mix. It's horrible. So I'm making all these adjustments. Then I realize on the percussion track, which they're keeping, the guy that made the stems decided to put the brass the horns on the bridge section where the percussion is so fucking loud wow. that it was, but I can't turn the percussion down because I've got to play groove with the percussion. This is Latin music. Wow. <laughs> so I have to just deal with it. Hence, I'm half deaf right now. But so <laughs> I get the mix, and they're all getting like, come on, come on. I'm like, I it was, I, it was me alone doing the right thing for myself that would then serve them. Thank God I did it. First take, woo! Nice. Martin has got his hands on the glass going, yeah. Nice. I mean, I did other takes, but the bottom line is I, I I, took the air out of the balloon and added peace and joy to the room. That was my goal. That was my job. And, you know, so, whew. So, needless to say, Desmond was very happy. And uh, I, I know I'd recorded with him before. It might have been it might have been on John Bon Jovi's second solo record, Destination Everywhere. I can't remember. But anyway, but Desmond, you know, for those who are listening, Desmond's had 64 number one hit singles, I believe. Nice. Everybody from, you know, I mean, just. Uh, He's written some of them. I mean, it's a, some, like you could walk into uh, a bar in uh, the Philippines and play any of his songs. And most people there, you know, like anywhere in the world you go, they know stuff that, uh, you know, he's hey. he's written. It's it's. It's mind-boggling, and I had, I had heard him talking about um, Ricky Martin, and, and I think that's really interesting. And I thank you for sharing that story. That just blows my mind. But he was—correct me if I'm wrong—but he he was saying that when they did "Live in La Vida Loca," that was the first number one hit that was done completely in Pro Tools. That uh, up until that point, that it they might have been because I believe that because. The, like I said, the guys that were sending those stems through the internet, I had never seen that ever. 
until that session. It was brand new. That was a whole new thing, Pro Tools. Can we, can we just take a, a moment just to talk about that? Like just the situation that just happened that he just, you know, uttered to us. The fact that you I talk I tell my son this all the time. When when situations arise, you have to adapt and overcome. You're putting in the middle of a situation where like all these different variables just fire off and pop off where you are. You adapt, you overcome, you execute and you come away with the goods. That's huge, man. We got to do that. To recognize absolutely the light, you, that's the big thing. Some people don't recognize that there's going to there's going to be a problem. The idea is for us to recognize there's a problem before anybody else knows it. Yeah. Well, it's like yeah. you you nailed it. Like your spider sense is tingled, and you're yeah. you're, you're aware enough to 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 know what's going on. Um, yeah, that's uh, that's crazy. And and one of the things, uh, one last thing I wanted to mention about Desmond Child, the, the thing I think is so fascinating about him, and similarly with you, Kenny, is that you know. He has written, he wrote the Thong song and he also wrote with Dream Theater. And it's like, that wow. right there is what you need. Like, that's what it takes. That's, like, you've got you to gotta have no predisposition or, oh, I'm not, that's beneath me or this is not yeah. whatever. You have an opportunity to kind of communicate excellent musicianship to a whole different audience than you might normally do by yeah. working with somebody like Cisco. Um, or like I said, going in and, and helping out Dream Theater. So it's it's amazing how all these things are connected. And I know we're really getting into the kind of the weeds of songwriting and, and recording, but this is stuff you just I mean, where else are you gonna get this big it's dog? It's craft though. Yeah. It's absolute craft. It's bits brass tacks. This know, is what you talk about. You mentioned something uh, a while ago and it ties into what you're saying right now about being able to have a long career and and you have to you have to, adjust. this is all businesses, especially now when the COVID-19, mm -hmm. you have to adjust and adapt over and over and over and over and over again to stay relevant in the business you're in. So like right now, all my tours are canceled. I left a lot of money on the table this year. All my tours. I am so busy and so, so much going on when people, like I said, I don't know if I mentioned to you or a minute ago, I was on a Zoom conference where people are saying, like, you know, are you okay? Are you okay? Well, if you're asking that question, you don't know who Kenny Aronoff is. <laughs> of course, of course I'm okay because I'm the guy that adapts and adjusts. You know, I got so much going on, I can't keep up with it. You know, it's just so much, and a lot of it is being attached to the internet now. Mm -hmm. So I'm, uh, for example, I'm a speaker. So most likely a lot of the corporate speaking events aren't going to happen. I already, I have three I'm supposed to do this year. They either are going to postpone them to next year, or we're going to do it on Zoom. In which case, I am converting my studio. Kenny Aronoff, I have a studio called Uncommon Studios LA, where I do sessions all the time. I will convert that into uh, a situation where the lighting will be right, the sound will be light, so I can play the drums and give my my lectures, my speeches from that location. I'm doing one on Saturday. It's going to go all over the world. I'm part of a men's group called Metal International where they have 
you know, billionaire venture capitalists to people who are reinventing, you know, the wheel to, uh, you know, people who have 350 uh, uh, buildings that they built, uh, you know, just some of the most brainiac people out there. So I'm one of the guys that they're going to have speak for about like 10 or 15 minutes uh, about, you know, you know, embracing adversity and sustaining confidence through this time in your personal life and in your career. And I'll be doing that right from my studio. So I'm adapting by adjusting to, to with technology and doing things that are going to, you know, keep me going because the more I do that now, when things get better, I'm already at the head of the class. Mm-hmm. And so I'm taking every, I mean, I could go on. The list is endless. Of the people approaching me for things that are, that are all internet based you know, and it's just bit one thing after another. It's like every day I have a meeting and I'm grateful that they're coming toward me. But some of it might be that the people know that I am that guy mm-hmm. that it adjusts and adapts. And because I've had a, a career that is just like you said, I've done all this stuff, but I'm still relevant yeah. right now. I mean, I'm on a record that's number that came in at number eight on the top 100 charts two weeks ago. And you'll never guess who it was. It was Joe Satriani. <laughs> I did Joe Satriani's record. I was supposed to tour with him all summer, all year. Joe Satriani's record, Shape Shifting, came in at number eight on the top 100 albums. That means he's competing with Katy Perry, Lady Gaga, uh, all the rap artists. <laughs> yep. Well, you know, he it, came, it, it's... He came it, in number eight. It's funny you say that, because we, we've had... Um, there's an awesome band, uh, Entheos. Uh, we've had the, their, their members on the show. Uh, they're a progressive metal band. And we were talking about how instrumental music is having this, like, unprecedented moment of popularity in mainstream culture. And it's driven by... A lot of like, I'm, I mean, I'm mostly a metal guy, you know, progressive guy, um, you know, animals as leaders like Matt Gartzica, these these phenomenal yeah. drummers. Yeah. And, and and now everyone's a fusion drummer, Kenny, everyone like because of <laughs> because of YouTube and like the generation of drummers I am, you know, we got to go and get all these Latin influences and, you know, uh, gospel influences and metal influences yeah. and put it all together. And then you have these insane musicians playing instrumental music that you know we just had dave wiener on on the show who's who's played with steve vi for nearly 30 years and there's another example where it's like he's been doing his thing this whole time but now 30 years later everybody wants instrumental guitar based guitar focused music Mm -hmm. and you got satriani's having his his big moment you know uh vi like i said animals as leaders you know the guitar the g3 petrucci tours and stuff um we've never i think you know, it's 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 also cool to talk to you because you've been a part of a, and I don't say this in a derogatory way, but the system, the corporate recording system, of you know radio, uh, marketing, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And when you you touch on that, when you talk about Ricky Martin, like okay, we've got a product here, we need to we need to make a a, a profit off of it. You've been there, and now you're in this new world where it's like, hey, those barriers to entry are down. You know, in my my home studio here, we we can do everything that. You know, uh, you name it, any studio or whatever, to a certain extent, and then you can kind of farm it out to somebody to master it or somebody to edit it or whatever. Um, have you seen kind of your contemporaries like fall off because they haven't adapted to these new things? Because 
I, I, to quote you in your Google talk, you said, you know, we're in the horse and buggy business and the car just showed up 15 years ago and you're still on the buggy. And, <laughs> and I paused it when you said that. And I, I just, I was like, that is, that's so well put because oh, yeah. you really are a unique, uh, personality, whatever you want to call it, tool musician in this system that's changed. Like, have you seen, is that, do you credit that for why you've been able to stick around and like you're saying, you're, you've adapted with all these new restrictions and stuff like that? Yeah, absolutely. It's all about adapting. You know, I, I, I can't even take credit cause I'm genetically wired to, to, to want to adapt to adjust. I want to be on the winning team all the time. Uh, and so I don't know where that comes from. So I just am grateful that that is in me because that's the thing that drives me. Uh, that's the thing that makes me feel happy at the end of every day that I've accomplished this. I've accomplished that I've done this hard work makes me the results of hard work and self-discipline make me feel good. And I'll, I'll have to say it all really starts with, your foundation of mental, physical, emotional, and spiritual strength. And I have this thing called the eight steps to a healthy life. If you don't have that, I mean, Jobs said it, the, the guy creator of Apple. Jobs, Steve Jobs said, right now as I'm dying in my bed, it doesn't matter if I have a $30 car or a $300,000 car. It doesn't matter that I have a billion dollars in the bank or if I have $1 in my pocket. It doesn't matter no. because he's dying. So the thing is, you know, your health is so important because in order for me to do what I'm doing to stay relevant and adapt and adapt and, and adjust and adjust and be hungry and be excited – People are always going like, damn, I cannot believe how much energy you have at your age. That comes from what I'm talking about, spiritual, mental, emotional, physical strength or health. And you got to start with that first. Yep. And then realize your purpose in life because when you operate from a place in your heart, not your mind, use your mind to guide you, but you got to come from that this is what I gotta do. Mom, call the fucking Beatles up. <laughs> yeah. I want to play the Beatles. Oh, I can't? Well, I'm gonna start my own band. There you go. John Mellencamp said, after I finally get my big break, I'm in the band for like um, five weeks. We're recording for two days. We have a meeting, and I'm fired. Because <laughs> I, I didn't have enough experience making records to get on the radio. The producer said I, he only had eight weeks to make the record. And we're recording to tape. We don't have a time to fix. I need drummers that make records that go on the radio and become number one. John didn't want to fire me. I didn't know that until about five years ago. It was the producer that wanted to get this record done. He had to get it done. John told me, you, you're not playing on a record. And he said, uh, as a matter of fact, you can go home. And I went, I ain't going home. Where did that come from? <laughs> it was like, that's, that's not fight or flight. That's survival that's right there. That's fight or fight. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I, I look back on it now and go like, holy shit. Thank God I'm that guy. I'm going, John goes, you go home. I said, no, no, I'm not going anywhere. No, no. Because I was terrified. I was embarrassed. I was ashamed. I was overwhelmed. All those feelings. So then I go and say, well, uh, you know, I'm trying to figure out my way out of this. I'm like, well, am I still the drummer in your band or what? And he could have very easily said no. And he went. He's smoking a cigarette going, 
well, yeah, uh, but you're not playing on the record. And I went, well, uh, and I'm fumbling. I'm trying to negotiate a deal that will serve him and me. I'm going, um, well, I'm going to go in the studio and watch these drummers play my fucking parts, and I'm going to learn from them. I'm going to learn from them. I'm going to get better. I'm going to benefit from that. And you're going to benefit because I'm your drummer, right? Silence. <laughs> Said nothing. I went, fuck. I went, okay. I'll work for free and I'll sleep on the floor. I don't give a shit. And he went, okay. <laughs> <laughs> that always works, right? Go, go to the wallet. So, and so what happened was I stayed there for four weeks. I felt like the oddball out. I felt embarrassed. Look at, I just worked with Leonard Bernstein. I want a, a marimba concerto with a 60 piece orchestra playing a violin concerto on marimba that I practiced two hours a day for 365 days to get to that, to win that concerto. And now I can't play on a record? Well, guess what, folks? I had that much experience making records that get on the radio. So there you go. That was a do or die, life-changing moment, and I stepped up to the plate. You know why? Because my purpose, they were trying to take away my purpose. This is who I am. This is what I got to do. I died trying to do it. Wow. And when they tried to take it away, I was like, fuck you. You are not taking it away. <laughs> no, and, man. And I'm saying this without even realizing that back then. You know, I'm talk I can objectively talk about it and tell the story. But back then I was just being me, which is exactly the point. I was being me. That's who I'm supposed to be. And that is the fuel that has driven me and still driving me to be me to do what I do. This is what I do. I don't wake up and go, Oh fuck, I gotta go to work. I'm the guy who can't wait to go to work, but I'm the guy who doesn't want to turn the fucking lights off at night because I can't I'm digging what I'm doing and I can't wait to do more. You know, I'm writing yeah. shit. <laughs> you know, it's just, it's endless. So there you have it. That'll be a thousand dollars. Yeah. That's, that's, that, that, that's, that's all you need. Right. I'll tell you, man. So I, I want to tie it in here. Um, so how did you get to, uh, to, to, you know, connect with Mangini and, What's that, you know, what's that relationship like when you got, you know, because uh, I can't imagine the two of you guys together in a room after sitting here talking <laughs> with you for an hour. Because Mangini, I mean, he's a Super Bowl and uh, putting yeah, you are, too. I could I could just see you guys just Energy, bouncing man. off the walls for Energy. just it, it would never stop. I mean, how, how did you guys get linked up together? <laughs> I think I, I met him at uh, a Steve Vai concert when he was playing with Steve Vai or met him at Nam. But, oh, yeah, he and me could probably light up all of Boston. If they just put electrolytes in him and in me and connected us, we could probably light up the entire city. I mean, it, it's amazing. It's, yeah. And when we, when we start, I mean, he, he invited me to be participate in this drum uh, camp up in uh, up two hours outside of Montreal. And we would stay up at night drinking and just talk and talk and talk and talk about music, about sports, about anything, about food. You know, he loves to eat, he's Italian, you know. Uh, it's, just, it's just endless. We could talk and talk. He's great, he's extremely bright, extremely passionate. He's a nutcase like me, spooker driven. I mean, it's almost like we're brothers, you know, <laughs> except that he has hair and I don't. <laughs> <laughs> he does that, he's got a beautiful mane, yeah, I'm jealous. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's, I can I can see yeah, the... I mean, uh, he's great, and I love, we're completely two different drummers. Yeah. I, lo I love his, I love what he does, because he, 
the, the reason why I love what he does so much is that he is living his purpose. He is yeah. really yeah. doing what he is, uh, and he um, created a style that is it's like he created his own style. It's his own thing. It's like, I just love to be, be around that. I don't care if it's music, art, sports. I just love authenticity and, and, and man, genie is authentic. I, you know, as far as the drummer goes, I've, I've had the opportunity to watch a lot of the, you know, a lot of the greats up close and, you know, from the side of the stage, just being around the music business. And I guess last year when dream theater was in town, when I took Daryl to the show and we, we hung out with Mike and, we were on the stage and he was just warming up a little bit and I was blown away by how powerful of a drummer he is. And, and when you watch, you know, when I watch you play, obviously you're known for your groove and yeah. your power um, yeah. and your, and your, just your presence. Um, and he's one of those drummers where it's like, it kind of breaks all the molds where he can groove. He's got power. He can, was the world's fastest drummer for a couple of years, yeah. you know? Yeah. And then it's just, um, He's a, he's a special breed, and it's cool to see, uh, you know, guys like you connect to each other because you. I could definitely see how he could pull from you, and you could pull from him, and it's like you yeah. guys are you're in two different swimming pools, but you know you're, you're still uh, yeah. stirring the drink. It's 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 awesome, man. So on the topic of drummers, is is there anybody any young drummers now uh, that you're particularly fond of or impressed by, or that maybe that are inspiring you at all? Everybody asks me that, and I never can remember <laughs> who there are so many drummers on YouTube, you yeah. know, that are, Oh, you know, I'll, I'll mention this guy. He's not even just a drummer. Uh, it's it, the band is called Knower K N O W E R. Yeah. Oh, you guys know about that? I know. Noah, yeah. That's Lewis Cole. He's a funky little drummer. Now, yeah. <laughs> the keyboard player, you know, that song, Oh, it's one of their biggest songs. Uh, uh, Nate, do you remember any of their songs? Not, not, not off the top of my head. I know I'm familiar with the band though. Well, well, you know, um, so you know, uh, it's the, the girl, the greatest. She's the cutest little thing singing. Um, and it, uh, what's this? God damn, what's the name of the song? Oh, I'll look it up right now. Let's let's look it up. Uh, yeah. Nowhere. Time Nowhere. traveler. No, keep going. Next. Uh, overtime. The government knows. Overtime. Overtime. Right. There's a badass keyboard solo in that, like, but it isn't really like a bebop solo. That's the keyboard player that's in the Joe Satriani uh, tour. Really? And wow. So, as a matter of fact, when we were making the record, Chris Cheney, the bass player, who had turned me on to Noah, turned Joe onto it, and Joe reached out to that guy, Ray, it's R A I, Thistleweight, he's from Australia. Cause he's a singer songwriter also, but he's a badass pian. He's a jazz pianist. Nice. Uh, and he's playing with Noah means Lewis Cole spot spotted his talent. And right now Lewis Cole and Noah, they've got a, a new uh, thing on YouTube and it's a bunch of songs running together and they've got all this like special effects. Uh, it's just him and, 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 and the girl. And, but Lewis is like a funky drummer. I mean, people, he's not like, the guy who practices 80 hours a day he's a songwriter and he plays piano he probably plays everything but he's just a funky he's got this cool style i think he plays left-handed too mm -hmm. it's funky as hell so yeah that's uh that's one guy that's it's just I, i'm only thinking of him because that's the only thing guy that popped in my head uh so you know i'm so busy i don't have time to surf 
the yeah. net, watch other know, drummers I, yeah <laughs> i yeah. feel you man i guess i've caught i mean what, i've already had uh, three zoom meetings today wow. this interview i gotta write two charts for tomorrow i've gotta go do my typical my workout i you know i train uh even if it's for 20 minutes wow. I have a specific thing. i have you have a gym in my house you know do weight training because uh, weight training uh, is a is the number one thing out of my eight steps because it it makes you strong but also uh uh, build uh, it. It builds your immune system because it increases yeah. your hormone levels. Yeah. And at age twenty, in our twenties, we start losing our hormone levels. So you know that is the primary. Even if I do sixty-five push-ups, you know I'll do I'll blast out sixty-five push-ups in a row, and, and to push myself for that same reason to build my hormone level, keep my hormone levels up, and my immune system up kind of an important thing nowadays yeah and and so and then i'm gonna go to the studio and um do i have a one hour very specific workout that i do on the drums i could do it in 30 minutes or i could do it an hour and i go, go through a system of stuff every single thing is accounted for so that sound great at what i do i devise it. it's a specific workout and then uh then i gotta prepare for uh, this thing I'm doing on Saturday. But meanwhile, I mean, the list of what I have to do is ridiculous. Uh, you know, I have a, uh, it just goes on and on and on. So, yeah. That's that's awesome. Uh, you know, as I know you're a busy man. As we start to wind down here, I got a few more questions I want to hit you with. Um, uh, there's this idea that like some sort of pop musicians maybe don't have chops, right? I get like from the musician circle, people will see a pop band like ah, whatever, you know. Like we were talking about like a like a Katy Perry type, right? Um, Keith Urban comes to mind for me as somebody that I, at first glance, I was like, oh, this guy it can't really be that good. And then I know someone who uh, played in a session with him and was like, no, dude, you don't understand. Keith Urban is that fucking guy. Like he just mm -hmm. happens to be a great pop singer, and it's like. John Mayer's kind of like that too. Um, oh yeah, I, I recorded with Keith. So, who are? Well, this is a perfect topic then. Um, <laughs> can you name anybody off the top of your head that people might be surprised to find out how good of a musician they are? That are that that it's maybe not perceived that way, or you know what I mean? Like, is there anybody that would surprise people at how good they are as a, as a musician? Well, I mean, I can name like a drummer that. We already knew he was a badass, but just think about like Vinnie Caliuta mm. uh, playing, you know, like, uh, as a matter of fact, it was a Sting song. If you ever lose, if I ever lose my faith. Oh, yeah. I mean, great song. Like, you know, boom, got to boom, but that doom, but do bat, boom, but that doom, but do bat. He never loses it. Grew up listening to that song in the house, man. That's yeah. so funny you mentioned that. <laughs> yeah. but, but we all know Vinnie can smoke oh yeah people like he's ridiculous technique or look at steve gadd is like that too oh yeah steve gadd exactly uh you know uh uh or whatever uh you know like uh even like john bonham on cashmere i mean john did good times bad times but he did cashmere or just he just knew to lay it down i mean a great drumming musician just does what's right for the song, you know? Yeah. And that doesn't mean they don't have monster chops. You know, I mean, this, usually, unless you're Charlie Watts or yeah. Ringo, usually <laughs> musicians in this day and age probably have a lot of stuff that you're not seeing. And so, you know, when, when, when musicians get critiques like that, 
you should you should perhaps realize that what they're doing what you're seeing is is purposeful for the song and the music they're doing that doesn't mean that's everything you know there's more to them than just that well the way i like to kind of explain it to people is like you know bobby flay probably makes turkey sandwiches every now and then you know yeah like it's it's not uh doesn't take away from any of his you know six course meals but i bet you he can make a goddamn turkey sandwich pretty good you know yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. and sometimes that's what you need that's uh that's really cool um so t- flipping it over to sports here i know uh you know you, you mentioned you're an athlete growing up you're, you're a varsity athlete um what what has been the most obvious thing that you took from sports that you've kind of been able to maybe not obvious to external you know externally but something to you that you translated from sports to music that's helped you be successful discipline hard work discipline self you know perseverance um and also teamwork and uh taking orders respecting your place that there's a player and a coach all that stuff made it possible for me to deal with so many different personalities in all these people different people I work with everything from Leonard Bernstein as a conductor Sergio Zauer who was a ruthless uh, leader as a conductor to uh, a, a teacher who my first year at Indiana University I walked into my first lesson I didn't have a pencil and eraser for some reason he said get the fuck out of my room you get enough for the day and I understood what that meant it wasn't like what I was like oh my god yes sir Okay, never again, and move forward. You know, dealing with uh, just uh, that type of training with coaches that just were up your butt and pushing you and pushing you and me, pushing me and pushing me and seeing the results of that and what that got me, that was a huge life lesson right there. It's funny. That reminds me, I've told this story before, when my dad is a musician and um, like so many young drummers i grew up playing in the church my dad was a music director at a church uh several different churches and um when i was about 14 or 15 years old i was drumming in the church band and you know there's all these veteran musicians the guys i really respected my dad's the band leader so there's this you know it's your dad it's work whatever it's his job and i remember i played something and he stopped the band and he looked at me across from like 20 feet across the church stage through all these other adults to this 15 year old son he goes play what you did there but next time play it better and I was like, okay. And like in the moment, I just went with it. And then later, I remember like driving home from church and then like, then it's like back, it's my dad. And I was like, man, my dad just like shit on me. And then, you know, it took me a long time to understand like, no, there's like this, there's something going on here. He's making you better, you know? And as, as I've gotten older, it's always something I never let him forget, you know? And he was, he's always embarrassed every time I tell the story, but it's like, you need that. And I think now there's, a softness, a general softness that people have that is kind of not conducive to great performers or great athletes or leaders or, yeah. or things like that. And, and you need to be told that you suck sometimes. And like this kind of ties back to what I was saying before, where at this stage in my life, Kenny, like I will go up to anyone and ask them anything because I've been rejected so many times in music business just for those one or two opportunities that you do get that and then you take it, you, you get that opening and you take it right I don't care anymore. And it, and it enables me to just put myself out there and, 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 you know, try and do new things. Is there any time that you felt like you've been able to kind of pass that, 
are are you actively trying to pass that kind of old school technique on to new musicians you're working with, younger musicians? Well, I, I've written a second book that uh, a year and a half ago I haven't put out. It basically, it, it starts like this. Are you living your life loud or are you dying on the vine? Because most people are dying on the vine. If you do nothing, you get nothing. Mm-hmm. You're not born successful and success ain't going to land in your lap. And if you're waiting for shit to happen, I'm the guy who's going to take it from you because I'm not waiting. So get your ass off the couch and do something. Action. Take action. And that really is going after people who think that it's okay to just like slough through life. And I'm sorry, that is just not acceptable in my terms. See, the way I look at it is, and I know everybody has a different upbringing, and some people come from like really adverse conditions. But what I'm saying is that you have to try to be the best that you can be and at least try to take care of yourself. Mm -hmm. Because if you're taking care of yourself, nobody else has to take care of you. Now obviously, if you have a child, you have to take care of the child because the kid can't take care of himself. But the goal is, I think every parent's goal should be to teach your children. I tell my, okay, I I tell my son, two bits of advice I've got for you. One, think in terms of you're on your own. Be able to take care of yourself. Be self-sufficient because then you're doing your part in the world. Two, stay healthy because you're on your own. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) If you don't have your health, what are you going to do? Right. Of course I have his back. But the point is if you have the mentality, my wife is a nurse and she's working downtown L.A. And we were discussing there are people where she's working and you could see they just – we're missing that ingredient of they instead of them realizing what I'm talking about, they're like, "How can you help me? How can you help me? How can you help me?" Mm-hmm. And what happens is when you do it that way, when I don't mean I need help, could you help me so that I can then be a better person? Well, I'm talking about people who just want to be to be taken care of and have no responsibility for nothing. That is a bad thing because it brings society down that is not they're not helping themselves they're not helping anybody around them so okay so i mean so i basically send that message out all the time i said and i like i said not everybody is born in the equal environments or conditions i'm just saying do the best that you can and realize what i'm telling you that attitude will hopefully elevate you and give you a better life. And you're doing yourself a service and everybody around you. That's the basic message. <laughs> that's, yeah. that, that is the basic message, isn't yeah. it? That's, that's amazing. Yeah. R- words to live by. That's, uh, that's, that's perfect. Um, last question for you, Kenny. And I know this is probably going to be a hard one to answer for you, but is there any one specific record, anything that, you know, you want on your gravestone when when you leave this mortar coil? Uh, is there anything that the number one thing you're most proud of uh, in your music career um, so far to this point? What would that be? Well, there's two recordings I can think of. I mean, on my gravestone only because I, I mean, I've done better recordings or other things just as great. But this one, I would say, was a defining moment in me where I made the the crossroads, all the work up until that point paid off. And it was also a moment where I realized 
even though you're number one, for about two seconds I celebrated and realized there's no such thing as number one. <laughs> that That's what I came up with. I'll spend, uh, uh, I'll never be as great as I want to be, but I'm willing to spend the rest of my life trying to be as great as I can be. I'm grateful that I became, I'm on a number one hit single, and it really focused on the drums, and that's Jack and Diane. But I also, that immediately told me, dude, this is just the beginning. You just got, you earned a touchdown or a Super Bowl ring. Yeah. But the thing is that this shows you that you can do it, but that doesn't mean you're going to get it every time. But I'm willing to go after it. And it was a beautiful moment. Now I'm looking forward. What's next? And so if I was to put something on my gravestone, I'd say thank you. Jack and Diane. <laughs> <laughs> that's nice. yeah. That's uh, it's America. I mean, that's that's a piece of American history and American culture that uh, you know, it's wild. It's 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 been a great conversation. Um, where can people keep up with you and and uh, you know where can people find out you know more about you? All that information. What, what's the best way to track you down? You can follow me on social media. My Instagram page is Kenny Aronoff. Uh, my uh, Twitter is uh, Aronoff Official. Facebook, uh, dude, if anybody wants to be on my Facebook page, I tapped out eight years ago. I've got over a <laughs> thousand people asking to be, but they only give you 5,000 names. So I'm sorry. Yeah. I apologize. I can't add you without taking somebody off. So, but you can follow me on the fan page. I do the same post on the Kenny Aronoff fan page, and I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, as Kenny Aronoff, and then you can go to my website, www.kennyaronoff.com, and there's a speaker page. There's a, uh, you can hire me to do sessions in my studio or drum lessons or Skype lessons, and I have a YouTube channel, my name, Kenny Aronoff. Yeah, that's pretty much all of it right there. That's it. Sweet. Well, I'll tell you what, man. Next time I'm out in L.A., I'm going to hit you up. I'm going to come check out that studio. Thanks, Kenny. Maybe, uh, maybe you can show me how it's done. Kenny, thank you so much, brother. We'll be, uh, we'll be checking with you soon. Take care, guys. Awesome. Thanks. Nice.